So let me ask you something. Why do you think it is that some people just seem to make it and some people don't? You know what I'm talking about? You've got, you got two athletes that have the same ability, and they both get scholarships to a local college to play football, and one of them does real well and even makes it into the pros, and the other one flounders and doesn't even make it through college. What, why is that? You have two people who have the same amount of assets. They both start businesses. One makes millions, and the other one goes bankrupt. What is that? Is that just luck? And we've all seen this. We have a couple, two couples, and they get married, and they're from the same cultural background, same spiritual background. 30 years later, one couple's still happily married with lots of grandkids. The other one's been divorced for years and hardly speak. What, what is that? was probably a lot of factors that determine those kind of things in people's life. But one of the most important elements is persistence. Persistence. It's a big deal. I learned this from Bob Russell several years ago, only 20-some in a sermon by the same name. And I've never forgot it because he said some people just never quit. Some people just never give up. I was thinking about Beethoven. Uh, his family and his friends all told him he should give up because he was deaf, but he didn't listen. Anyway, some people, in fact, see obstacles as opportunity, and the more obstacles they have, the more opportunity, and they just keep going. They never give up, and I don't think it's a matter of IQ. I had a friend growing up, Bill Strother, you've heard me talk about him before, and he was a real stooge growing up, and we'd get into it, and he'd say, uh, and I would say, Bill, you're just stupid, and he'd say, Kane, you got hair like a woman, and I'd say, well, that's a pretty good comeback, Bill, but you know, I can cut my hair. There's not much you can do for stupid. Now you fast forward now today, and it's Dr. Bill Strother, doctor of theology. But it wasn't his IQ. This guy never quit. He never gave up. He was persistent. Our text this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 8 through 18, and in this section, Paul discusses the importance of persistence in our lives. And the key verse for us this morning is verse 16, where he says, we don't lose heart. Oh my goodness, what a timely message for us today as a church family that we're persistent enough that we don't lose heart. And it's my hope that this morning as you're sitting around either at the table with your family or in the living room and you have your Bibles open that you'll walk through this text with me this morning and listen to Paul as he teaches us how to be persistent enough to know that we don't lose heart. The first one is very simple. He says in verse 8, when you get knocked down, you get back up. We're hard-pressed on every side but not crushed perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. The Living Bible paraphrases verse 9, we get knocked down but we keep getting up and we keep going. Now my goodness, if there's ever a man of resiliency, it was the Apostle Paul. He took a lot of hard knocks and he kept getting back up. He was threatened in Jerusalem so he took off to the Arabian desert for an entire decade, studied to become a minister all by himself. When he finally resurfaced in Antioch, ready to go, they stoned him and left him for dead outside of Lystra. He went back up, he got up, went back into Derby, and converted several people to Jesus Christ. Later on, they stoned him, left him for dead, he got back up. A number of people led to the Lord. He gets thrown in prison in Philippi, he converts the jailer. He gets dragged into a courtroom in Caesarea, he turned a witness stand into a pulpit. He got shipwrecked on the island of Malta and led the chief politician on that island to Jesus Christ, thrown into a Roman prison for several months. And by the time he came out, he had written a third of the New Testament. A resilient man, persistent. He kept getting up every time he got knocked down. He didn't lose heart. 
Zen Miller tells about a high school senior who applied for several colleges, and he kept getting rejection letters. After the third rejection letter, he got a fourth, and he wrote to the admissions office, Dear Sir, I am in receipt of your rejection, and quite frankly, sir, it's over my limit. So I'm rejecting your rejection and will report for college on September the 18th. I don't know how it turned out for that kid, but you got to admire his spunk. And you think about it, history is full of people like that. People like the Apostle Paul that we're reading about this morning. Thomas Edison, Abraham Lincoln. Men who succeeded because they rejected the rejection. Charles Goodyear of Goodyear Tire was penniless in 1838, and he was developing a method to vulcanize rubber. He went bankrupt and was thrown in jail because of contempt of court. While he was in jail, undistracted, he perfected his method. And when he got out, he not only paid back all his creditors, but he made a fortune for everybody who kept their faith in him. When Albert Einstein was a graduate student, his doctoral dissertation was rejected from the university because it was irrelevant and fanciful. But he rejected a rejection and did not throw his theory of relativity into the trash. John Grissom, the best-selling author, had his first novel, A Time to Kill, which is a good book I've read, rejected by 12 publishers before somebody took a chance on it. Michael Jordan was cut from his junior high basketball team, and Colonel Sanders was broke at age 65. Age 65, which means there's still hope for me. I'm a spring chicken compared to that, pardon the pun. But at age 65, he marketed his recipe for Kentucky Fried Chicken. He never gave up. He was persistent. He didn't lose heart. My goodness, family, the world needs us as Christians to have that same spirit of persistence today. Proverbs 24:16 reads, Though a righteous man falls seven times, he gets back up, but the wicked are brought down by calamity. As it becomes more and more unpopular to be a Christian these days, the likelihood of us being knocked down over and over and over again is going to go up. It's very important for us to be resilient and to bounce back every time. When the lights go out in the cave, it's a good time to be a flashlight salesman. And the darker and the darker this world gets spiritually, the brighter the light of Jesus Christ will shine in our hearts. That's why we're the light of the world. Isaiah predicted that when Jesus come, the world, the people living in darkness would have seen a great light, and that's us. Now, we have to admit that a lot of us over the years in our Christian life have fallen once or twice. We've fallen into bad habits or fallen into broken marriages or fallen into bad businesses or bad parenting or uh, bad leadership at church. And we've been tempted to throw in the towel and give up, but we didn't. We're here, and we're not going to give up. We're going to run towards victory like we talked about last week. We're not going to lose heart. Think about all the people over the years that have inspired that in us. I was thinking about my kids last week and that Joni Erickson Tata that they liked when they were young, the, the gal that was paralyzed from the neck down when she was a swimming, in a swimming accident. She went on to live a life of ministry and testimony and music to the Lord. Dave Ramsey, nationally known financial guru, filed bankruptcy twice, and today he has actually led millions of people out of the doldrums of financial bankruptcy and has led several people to Jesus Christ. Sherry Rose Shepherd entered a beauty pageant she walked off the stage and fell onto the table face first in front of the judges. She said to herself, you've got to get up, you've got to get up. So she got up and brushed herself off and looked at the judges and said, I just didn't want you to forget me. And they didn't. She won. And she went on to win Miss USA and wrote the book, 
Life is not a dress rehearsal. Frank Peretti was living in a trailer with no inside plumbing on $15,000 a year when he wrote the book, This Present Darkness. Twelve publishing companies said no. Finally, the Good News publishers reluctantly agreed to publish him. But they warned him that there was no market for Christian fiction and he couldn't expect to sell more than 15,000 books. Two, or two years later, he had sold three and a half million books, and as of this day, he has sold 15 million books. These people did not give up. They didn't lose heart. They were persistent. Francis Schwartz tells about a friend of his by the name of Jerry, who every time he bumped into him, he'd say, Jerry, how you doing? And Jerry'd say, well, if I was any better, I'd be twins. And Schwartz said, Jerry, how do you do that? I mean, every day you're positive and upbeat. How does a guy do that? And Jerry said, it's very simple. Every morning I get up. And I ask myself, you can be in a good mood today or you can be in a bad mood today. And I always choose to be in a good mood. Swartz said it can't be that easy. And he said, yes, it is. Life is about choice. When you get rid of all the junk, you just have to make a choice. Several years later, the restaurant that Jerry owned was uh, robbed and the thieves panicked and shot him and left him for dead. He wasn't in very good shape. But he said, I remember laying on the floor thinking, I can choose to live or I can choose to die. I choose to live. He said the paramedics did a real good job, but he could tell when they were wheeling him into the emergency room that things weren't going well. He said, I was scared. I could see the look on their faces, and they were talking about how I wasn't going to make it. There was a big burly nurse shouting questions at him, and he could barely respond. And she said, sir, are you allergic to anything? Are you allergic to anything? And he, he said, yes, I am. Everybody got quiet and stopped and said, what is it you're allergic to? He said, I'm allergic to bullets. He said, when everybody stopped laughing, he said, can I just tell you that I have chosen to live and I'd like for you to operate on me as a man who's going to live and not somebody who's going to die. After 18 hours of surgery, several days of um, intensive care, he's fully recovered. Six months later, his friend bumped into him again and said, Jerry, how you doing? He said, if I was any better, I'd be twins. There's a man who was resilient. He was struck down but not destroyed. Those are the kind of people that we need to be these days. You know, sometimes if we're not careful, we use the, the word but for negative circumstances. We'll say, well, it's a beautiful day out there today, but it's awful windy, and it rained all night last night. I like this online church stuff, but the sermon was a little long last week. You know, I, I believe God's got all of this, but it sure is spooky, all the stuff going on out there right now. I, you know, I really like Eric Gilpin, but you can fill in the blank on that one. But, you know, you read through the New Testament, and, and the Bible uses the word but for a positive reality. The church was persecuted, but those who were scattered preached the word everywhere they went. James was beheaded, but the word of God increased. Peter was in prison, but the church was earnestly praying for him. In this world, you'll have tribulation, but you be of good cheer, because I've overcome the world. And then in our text this morning, verse 8, we're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Therefore, we don't lose heart. South Union Church family, we're not going to lose heart. Secondly, we love the Lord more than life itself, and that'll keep us persistent. Look at verse 10. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, 
but life is at work in you. In other words, Paul was considering himself expendable as long as he could get others to come to Jesus Christ. Now, his life was full of story after story of that happening. But one I was thinking about last week was in Acts chapter 19 when Paul went to Ephesus and preached. The Bible says there was a great revival but if you remember all the manufacturers of the souvenirs and the statues of Diana, the goddess Diana, began to be threatened because they're thinking if all these people become Christians, we'll be run out of business. And so they created a riot, and the Bible says the people ran as one man into the theater. Now, you've got a picture. The theater was cut into the side of a mountain like a horseshoe, and it held 25,000 people. And they filled that theater up, and they were chanting, Great as Artemis, Diana, of Ephesians. Great as Artemis of Ephesians. And the Bible says most of the people didn't even know they were there. They were just in a frenzy, bloodthirsty, wanting to kill a Christian, wanting to kill Paul. And Paul looked out his house and saw that going on. And instead of cowering in the corner or running for his life, he said, what an opportunity to preach the gospel for Jesus Christ. The point is, Paul was willing to face that hostile crowd because he loved the Lord more than his own life. If he can convince just one person to become a Christian, it was worth imprisonment, shipwreck, and death. That's why Paul persevered and never quit. He loved the Lord, and it caused him to love the Lord more than life himself. And that's a good question for us. Do we love the Lord more than life itself? There was a movie out years ago called First Night. Probably some of you have seen it. It was a story of Camelot. And I remember one of the scenes in the movie, uh, Sir Lancelot was teaching someone the art of swordsmanship. And he said, what you have to do first of all is study a person's move until you've, you're so familiar with it that you know what he's going to do before he does it. The student said, I could do that if you teach me. He said the second thing is you've got to get to the point in the battle where you figured out you could either win or lose. He said, I could do that too if you teach me. He said, the third one's the tough one. You've got to get to a point, my friend, where you don't care whether you live or die. That's the tough one. When you think about it, that's kind of what Jesus asked of us. If anyone would come after him, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So again, that's a good question. Do we love the Lord so much that we'd be willing to give our life to advance his cause in the church? Let's say that there's lots of credible chatter right now that when the churches begin to fill back up again, terrorists have threatened to attack as many churches as they could. Would you all show back up when the church opens its door again? Now, most of us aren't called to be martyrs, but still a very relevant question. Is our devotion to Jesus greater than our devotion to any other thing in our life? If you were called by God to give up a relationship because it wasn't one he wanted you to have or wasn't spiritual, would you love him enough to give that up? Would you sacrifice that? Are you devoted enough to Jesus that would you, you'd get up your freedom uh, as an American citizen if you felt like the Lord was calling you to go to Papua New Guinea or something to be a missionary, would you go? Do you love the Lord more than the pleasures of this life? When, when we get this back to going again, or, or are you willing to give up volleyball tournaments and basketball tournaments and uh, camping trips to come to church on Sunday, even golf outings? Okay, let's not get carried away. Forget the golf statement. But the, the deal is, is he all-consuming in your life or not? Jesus said, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Ann Dillard once said, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. I like that. And if you and I are going to persevere in this Christian life, our allegiance to Jesus has to supersede everything else in our lives. And by the way, if it does, 
We won't lose heart. Very quickly, number three, we have to believe what we say we believe. We just sang it. We have to believe it and say we believe it. Verse 13, it is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. I mean, if you believe in something, you're going to talk about it. You're going to give testimony to it. If you believe in your grandchildren, you're going to talk about them. I mean, I talk about mine all the time. If you believe in your golf game, like Richard Kruzovich, you'll talk about it all day. You'll, you'll explain every shot. He'll explain every shot he took in the last 18 holes if you listen to it. If you believe in something, you're going to give testimony. And if you and I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, especially in these days, we're going to talk about it all the time. The Apostle Paul believed that. He was certain of that. Towards the end of his life, he said, I'm not ashamed because I know whom I believe and convinced that he's able to guard that which I've committed to him until that day. Paul believed that with so much of his life, it gave him internal, eternal purpose. 2 Corinthians 4.15, all of this is for your benefit, so the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. It was that belief in, in his life that gave him motivation and caused him to preserve no matter what. And I've seen it in some of your lives too. We have teachers here, teachers' aides here, we have principals here. And I know it's a tiring job, and I bet you've been to a place where you're ready to just throw in the towel, I've had enough. And then you think about, I believe in these kids, and I have something they need. You have a wife who says, I've had it with my husband, his indifference and his neglect. It's time for me to take care of me. I, I'm just going to leave and take care of me. And then in a quiet moment, you think about your testimony and your family and your promises, and you hang in there. you got a businessman or a businesswoman surrounded by competitors who are cheating and making lots of money, and you're tempted to cheat and make money too. And then you begin to think about who you are and your core values, and you hang on. Family, we need to be people who know what we believe and why we believe it. Sometimes people say, well, you just go to church because it's a feel-good place. Well, on the one hand, I'd rather go to a feel-good place than a feel-bad place. But on the other hand, if church is just a feel-good place for us, then when things like this start to happen around us, our faith will fade away. Christianity begins with facts to be believed, then there's faith to be expressed, followed by feelings to be experienced, and it needs to be in that order. When my mommy went through what she went through a couple of months ago and passed away, Claudia and I were sitting drinking coffee one morning, and I said, you know, it's time for us to act like we believe what we say we preach. It's, it's hard to do that sometimes when things aren't going smooth. Wally Rendell was uh, preaching in Lexington, had a great ministry, and his 19-year-old daughter, who was in college, was killed in a car accident three weeks after she was named homecoming queen at the college. And you know what he said? He said, I've preached this all my life. Now it's time to practice it. That's believing what you say you believe. See, it's one thing to say that when life is smooth. It's another thing to say that uh, when you lose your mother of 88 years old. But it's something even more than that when you lose a 19-year-old daughter. And he was reported that saying at the funeral, my queen has gone home to be with the king. That's belief. That's speaking it. Job lost all his possessions. He lost all of his children. His health broke. His wife made fun of him. But he said, I love the Lord, and even though he slay me, I, I will trust in him. Our question then, family, is do we believe what we say we believe? With the businesses shut down, some of us not being able to work, with online church 
and school at home and work at home and family at home? Are we still going to hold on to our convictions? Are we still going to say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Are we still going to say, I believe the Bible is God's one and only word? I believe that God's going to reward those who remain trusting him. I believe God is holy and fair and just and he's got this. I believe that even though he slays us, we're going to trust him. Because if that's our conviction, if that's our perseverance, then we won't lose heart. One last thing, and I'll do it quickly, because Aaron said I preached too long last week. We need to keep our eye on the goal. Verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. See, one of the reasons why Paul could persevere is he had his goal set on heaven. Now, Paul was able to be called up into the third heaven. Remember that in 1 Corinthians 12, where he got to see a vision? And he said then, I saw things I'm not permitted to talk about, but I can tell you this much. Anything in heaven is worth zillions of times more than anything we have here. And his goal and his mind was fixed on that. That's got to be ours if we're going to persevere if we're going to not lose heart. Back when they used to play basketball in this country in front of crowds, I always used to watch. Uh, I loved to watch at the end of the game when the kids had to make the front end of a one-on-one to win the game and all the pressure was on. It was so tough on them because behind the basket, you got people screaming and hollering, waving their hands and pictures, and the kids really had to focus on their goal in order to make the basket. Family, you and I are going to have to focus on the goal if we're going to persevere and not lose heart. Lots of distractions out there right now, not just the coronavirus, but businesses and finances. And some are good distractions and some are bad, but we're going to have to keep our mind on things above. Paul says, outwardly we're wasting away, so even our bodies are wasting away. I mean, I don't know if this is true because I'm not there yet, but they tell me when you begin to get old, things on your body begin to deteriorate. I hear that uh, people actually lose the elasticity in their skin and their eyesight gets poor and, and sometimes hair grows out of their noses and their ears. I even heard some, some people lose their hair, if you can imagine that. Uh, and, uh, I guess one day something like that will happen to me. But sometimes even if you don't notice it, others are quick to remind you. I went to get my hair cut last Tuesday and my sister-in-law cuts my hair so I was in her room. Uh, socially distancing except for that but uh, Angie's mom was there we hadn't seen her in a long time and Angie was there and both of my nieces were there and every one of them reminded me Uncle Jimmy you used to have brown hair whatever happened to that see we keep our focus not on what's wasting away not in our bodies and what's wasting away around us but we keep our focus on the eternal and we're not going to lose heart Uh, okay so if you had a pen and was taking notes or you're kind of talking a little bit while I was talking, I need everybody to pay attention to me for just a minute. And I'm not making a political statement, okay? Not making a political statement. But I will tell you that I've been very impressed with the way President Trump has handled this crisis with leadership and boldness. But I really was impressed with what, something he said last week when he was talking about the church. He said he was so thankful that the churches were doing online. And so am I. I mean, there's 10 people here today that have given up their morning and they're here. It's kind of uncomfortable to do the praise team to an empty church, but they're here because they love the Lord, and I'm thankful for that. 
And he was saying he was thankful for the church because we need the church now. Boy, we do. We need you guys. Thank you so much. And then he said, this might be wishful thinking. I, I will admit that. But he said, wouldn't it be great if we could get our churches back together for Easter? He said, that could happen. It might not happen. But he said, Easter is such an important day. It's such an important day to me. It's such an important day to this Christian nation. And it's such an important day to the church. Wouldn't that be grand? And I know it's probably a stretch, but wouldn't that be something? If a couple weeks we could open up the church again. Because I'm telling you, I miss you guys a lot. I, I miss the kids bringing me candy. I mean, I can go back there and get a piece of candy, but it's not the same as Emma bringing it to me. And I, I go home and hug the grandbabies today, but it's not the same as uh, Elizabeth giving me my Jimster hug on Sunday morning or, or Brendlin coming and some of the others. We miss each other. We miss hugging. And when they open up the doors of this church again, oh, there's going to be a celebration like we've never seen. But God is so good to us that he's allowed us to be together this morning. I don't know how many of you are watching, but uh, you're in for a treat with the praise team because we're going to take communion together as a family again. And as we mentioned last week, you can get some juice and a piece of cracker or even a piece of bread and some water and symbolically remember the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. As they bring us to the throne in music, we're going to take communion together as a family, and that's pretty special. Let's pray. Jesus, we do thank you for that. I mean, we, there's no possible way we can understand all that took place on the cross. The sacrifice, not just your body. That would have been enough. But the fact that you took all of our sin, and you who knew no sin became total sin for us. We say those words like we know what they mean. We really don't. But we know enough to say thank you so much. We accept you. Thank you. Praise you for what you've done for us. And we come to this time together as a family. All different homes. Some of us in our pajamas. Coming to this table together as a family. Thanking you for that as we recognize your body and your, your blood broken and shed for us. You're a great, great, wonderful Savior, and we trust you, and we will not lose heart.